HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Handmade specialty chips in a variety of styles. Regular, lightly salted, sweet potato, vegetable mixed, dill pickle, sour cream, and chive. For more information on Route 11 Potato Chips, visit www.rt11.com. Hello, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio, your host here on Heritage Radio Network, and today we're going to talk about kitchens. Everyone's got a kitchen, right? I think most apartments today, when certainly all homes, have kitchens. Kitchen, what is it? A meal machine, experimental laboratory, status symbol, domestic prison, or the creative and spiritual heart of the home? Over the course of the past hundred years, no other room has been the focus of such intensive aesthetic and technological innovation, or as loaded with cultural significance as the kitchen has been. Kitchen design has been both a central concern of modernism and and it's fundamental to our concept of modern life, so much so that the Museum of Modern Art curated uh, an entire exhibit devoted to the evolution of the modern kitchen. It's called Counterspace. Counterspace. Um, get the exact title for you. Counterspace Design I'm and the Modern fight. Kitchen. There you go. Counterspace Design and the Modern Kitchen. It was curated by Juliet Kinchin, and it runs at the Museum of Modern Art in New York until May 2nd. So if you are in the New York area, you'll be able to, to catch it. It is a fabulous exhibit. If not, I have with me a very special guest today, and we are going to bring the exhibit to you, um, describe some of the political implications, cultural implications, and design elements. And my guest today is Merrill Evans. Merrill is um, a culinary historian and a journalist and writer. She has contributed to Food Arts Magazine, uh, Food and Wine. She's a contributing editor for Food Arts, and she has written for Cuisine, Food and Wine, New York Magazine, Red Book, Savour, Gastronomica. The list goes on. And she's been involved in television and museum work and even has her own collection of historic kitchen gadgets. Welcome, Meryl. Delighted to be here. So, 
this exhibit, you and I have both been to this exhibit, um, I'm sure, more than once. <laughs> and it is it truly does follow the evolution of the American kitchen over the past century. But before we even go there, at in the 1900s, where let's describe for uh, people who might not really be aware, where was the American kitchen at that time? Well, not even the American kitchen, the kitchen international, because this is not just American. No, it's worldwide. Right. And in the 19th century, I'm afraid the kitchen was not a very visible place to be. Mm-hmm. It was hidden, sometimes in the basement, sometimes in an annex. It was dark. It was dreary. Um, there was not much thought given to the planning of the kitchen. It was kind of helter-skelter. It wasn't a comfortable place to be. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And, of course, there were no modern appliances, maybe a wood stove, maybe, if you were very lucky, um, a, a actual early, I say, on a uh, gas heater. But... Basically, it was a dreary place to spend your time. Cold, and of course you cold did. and damp. <laughs> cold and damp. Right, right. Um, it, interesting because this is and this is where the museum's exhibit begins in the nineteenth in, in the nineteen hundreds, in terms of what innovations were made. Right. Well, it's it's interesting because some of the, some earlier innovations started the movement uh, here in the United States. Uh, Harriet Beecher. Um, Catherine Beecher um, started proselytizing for a more modern place for women to work. And then um, the home economics movement started in the early 20th century and a woman named Ellen Richards um, thought that the kitchen could be much improved. So there was a general movement starting in the early 20th century and that kind of burgeoned uh, to the point um, of Past World War One, which was a great impetus yes. for changing the way we cook and right. and the kitchen itself, and that's where the centerpiece of the museum's exhibition comes in, which is this incredible whole kitchen reproduced not as the actual kitchen at the museum for everyone to stare at. It's just a marvel. Now, this um, kitchen that Merrill just referenced is referred to as the Frankfurt Kitchen. Yes, and that's because it was devised, originated by this amazing woman architect. Uh, she was the first woman Austrian architect, I believe, um, named Margaret Schatlachowski, um, who... Or, Gre- or Greta, to, to her friends. Greta, to her friends. <laughs> well, this amazing woman lived to be 103. Amazing. So she saw a lot of things going on, but she was a young woman when she was asked to come to Frankfurt uh, to try and design a kitchen for a lot of the war widows at the end, after the end of World War One and poor people who didn't have good housing. And she was like part of this international movement, Ellen Richards here in the States and Margaret uh, Lachowski in um, Germany and Austria. And so she came up with this design for a very compact ergonomic space um, that would take advantage of all of the um, things that the old kitchen didn't. Well, you know, uh, everyone, anyone who has um, maybe refurbished their kitchen or designed a, a kitchen, if they're fortunate enough to do so in a new home, learned about you know the perfect work triangle, right? So that you economize the steps from refrigerator to stove to countertop you know, to sink. 
she really economized on those steps. She did. She based her model on a railroad dining car. And it was pretty compact. But there are wonderful things in that kitchen it, that I would like in my own kitchen. What, so would I. And it really, I, I think the design has stood the test of time. If we can sort of describe it, when Meryl says it's like a railroad car, indeed, it's very compact. I think the whole... The whole kitchen is probably not more than, what, like 12 yeah, by most, 8. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And Now, the other thing I will say, it's designed for a much shorter woman. You or I would, <laughs> would have a little trouble. It was, the count, everything's very low. But, um, but besides that, so you, you go into one end and you've got the cook stove and all that, the bins that store yeah, everything that, that slide that, out. That's the thing I covet is yes. the bins. I think yes. there are 18 bins designed they're built in and they're to hold flour and sugar and other staples and you just pull it out and pour it out and you have it right handy in front of you um there's a a great countertop it's beechwood to uh doesn't absorb the stains um a window which was very window a windowed kitchen yeah that was up there's uh, little features like a step stool to sit on that is on casters, so you can move it around. In the counter, there's a built-in place to throw your garbage. So, so as you're down, peeling as potatoes, you, you, you just, just <laughs> you throw the peels in, it goes down to a, a bin below. Right. Very, very well designed. Well, And, does, and as you say, that's, that chair um, is down by that cutting board, designed so that women didn't have to stay on their feet so long, right? They could sit down and peel their vegetables. Hmm, what an innovation. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that kitchen really stands the test of time. Absolutely. It didn't, didn't last too long. Um, I just got so interested in Lahotsky. She, she um, went on to um, work in other countries and then became an ardent communist hmm. and um, an anti-Nazi and ended up being in prison in concentration camp for most of the war um, before she was released. A very uh, forward-thinking uh, artist. And, but, but part of a whole movement uh, of industrial designers of that period and there are lots of others represented in the exhibit as well. Well that's what I think is so marvelous about this exhibit um, I know I read that uh, Greta Schutt-Lahatsky this, her work is the earliest work by a female architect that's represented in the whole museum's collection but this exhibit does focus on women in particular that who have um, added, not only women but um, but does focus on a lot of the women who had a hand in, in design. Uh, and yeah, but I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, most of the... there. By, by the way, there are 300 objects in this exhibit. The kitchen is the centerpiece, but you walk around and you see all these things. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know this. <laughs> most of them actually were designed by men for women. Um, but they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, well, and the question is, were they designed? They mean they were supposed to make women happier in the kitchen, make the kitchen a, a more comfortable place to stay. But then again, you wonder. But they also keeping us in the kitchen <laughs> right well, there, at that, that time. That conflict yeah. is is ever going on, still going on. Um, of course, the manufacturers of these objects were very happy to sell them to the housewives and keep them happy in the yeah. kitchen. But they are, as you mentioned, they are some. There are some beautiful. You and I have shared some uh, stories, admiration for some of these items that are modern, even by today's standards, and beautiful design. Uh, yeah. the tea kettles. Yes, uh, Peter Behrens, who was a German industrial designer, designed this absolutely magnificent-looking. 
I think it's nickel tea kettle, electric tea kettle, in 1909. Now, that's pretty early for an electrical appliance. And we should talk a little bit about electricity and gas because that's an important part um, of the period and of the exhibit because there are a lot of um, posters and uh, ads for uh, housewives to use more gas and electrical appliances. And that is a big political portion of the... um, evolution of the kitchen as well because kitchens had running water in the you know before this period we're talking about not necessarily hot maybe a cold running water but then um but the but a lot of open hearth cooking and a lot of like very coal uh coal ranges or yeah fire by coal were messy so in 1930 um gas ranges were pretty much widespread but prior to that they they were the oddity and gas was such a clean fuel um yes it was advertised as a clean fuel and uh, another way to uh, modernize our homes yeah so it would make us want things they'd have advertisements saying yes and cook with yes, gas was, right the yes clean and fuel. then all of a sudden no no not the gas electricity and right. that was the important thing it's cheaper better and that was not that came about in the in the sleek fifties kitchens. Uh, then then they were pushing electricity. Yes. So yeah. another consumerism model. You have to change your your fuel once again, right? But um, I was also intrigued by a lot of the sort of everyday objects that appear in the exhibit, and the fact that the museum had collected them early on in the in the forties, uh, and now they are are objects of of great importance right. these were all these were all objects that as you just mentioned were always in their collection yes and they I mean, ju- and they yeah, brought them they out they just for brought this them exhibit. out they trotted them out for the exhibit but what a surprising collection of uh, of the well for instance yeah. um tupperware uh we all know still tupperware uh it was invented by a man named earl tupper uh, in 1947, he was a chemist and devised these wonderful storage containers that have an airtight top. The Tupperware burp. And, <laughs> and, and, but it was a woman, who, um, a, a single mother, who got the idea of having Tupperware parties which, uh, in which the women would make some money and sell the Tupperware. And this became a very important suburban uh, Event in the 1950s. I don't know that you ever went to a Tupperware party. Uh, my, my, I did not host one. I'm I'm a little too young for that. My mother hosted a Tupperware party, okay. so I firsthand knowledge of, and it was great fun because the the representative would come with just love, you know, bins full of the Tupperware, and I think my mother got to keep a set, you know, like a complete set of Tupperware, and then sell it to all, you know, and the neighbors um, all bought as many pieces as the neighbors bought, then she got an additional piece or something like that. But it was great fun to watch. And, and it was interesting, You these, every sort of milestone that you just referred to these, like, let's say Tupperware, because they have a beautiful exhibit of the, of the um, tempered glassware with lids that, you know, prior to that time, leftovers were stored in these things. And then, then with the innovation of Tupperware, what we didn't mention is each of these innovations, or not each of them, but many of them, have accompanying videos in the exhibit. And they are fascinating to watch these old videos from, start, you know, and this is all starting around the late 30s through um, the 60s with the videos that they have describing these innovations and making the consumer need them. 
or yes. want them. One of my very favorites is the Chemex. Oh, yeah. Um, we, do you remember the Chemex coffee pot? Does anyone still use them? I don't no, yes. Know. My son told me he just trashed his coffee pot and bought a Chemex, and thinking it was so innovative. And I said, wait a minute. Those have been around for a long time. Well, that was invented by a um, German industrial uh, designer who came to the United States in, in 1930, in the early 1930s. And um, his name was Peter Schlumbohm. Um <laughs> He was born actually about the same time as uh, Greta uh, Lihotsky. Mm-hmm. It seemed to be a whole group that were emerged with kind of traditional Bauhaus, Bauhaus movement. Uh, yeah. movement designs. But um, he uh, designed not only the Chemex coffee pot, but like 3,000 other things. He was a character, and he sounds so interesting. I'd like to find out more about him. He lived in New York. He weighed 300 pounds. He was over six feet tall. He was a bon vivant. He loved to go around and eat. That was his favorite thing to do. And he had his own studio uh, in Greenwich Village and made everything there. Huh. So, uh, and they have, uh, we have a huge one on display. Yes, um, and then eventually Corning Glass uh, took over. They took it over and produced it. They're the ones produced, who produce and produced it. it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Corning is, is responsible for so much glassware of that period and still today. Well, I remember in the late 60s that, that everyone was turning away from you know the, the brewed coffee and the percolated, percolated coffee and going to drip coffee. And the Chemex was winning everyone's heart. In, at that time, once yes, again. and that's a long time ago. Absolutely, that was, that was, thanks. That was invented <laughs> in. Uh, he invented that in 1941. Wow! And uh, the museum acquired it in 1944. Now that really is thinking ahead, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that they really, you know, had an eye towards uh, towards household objects, which you know maybe was never really thought of as something that innovative. They were sort of mundane items that were necessary items. Uh, well, it's interesting because there was um, there was an exhibit in, in France. Uh, I'm trying to see where this was. The, actually, the first exhibit of household arts in Paris in 1923. So even as early as 1923, I think that when that was the first exhibit salon uh, of uh, household household arts and household items. So people now are starting to take note. And, uh, of course, war war brings a lot of innovation with it, too, what to do with the factories that are making all those munitions, and then there's no more war. What do we do with it? So when we come back, we're going to take a, a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the posters and the innovations and the war-driven industry.
And we're back. I'm talking with Merrill Evans. We're, we're talking about the evolution of the modern kitchen, um, m- much of it uh, related to the exhibit called Counterspace at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And Merrill, um, we're, I, we close with um, how war has a big influence on, on a lot of items that are produced. I mean, there have these factories and industries, of course, devoted to making uh, uh, rifles and, and bullets and things, you know, that were used in wartime and airplanes. Uh, then there was no more war, so they put this to use. In uh, a lot of things came that changed. Yes, the after kitchen. each uh, after World War One, uh, definitely big changes in the metals that were used uh, in the kitchen, more lightweight and so on. Um, in the Second World War, absolutely revolutionary changes uh, as the factories went into making. All of the modern appliances that we now revere. Uh, That's right. And we brought dish- us stainless steel, right? Stainless steel <laughs> and dishwashers and um, wonderful new stoves and refrigerators. and All of these things were adapted from wartime factories. Yeah. Well, it's interesting and in how much the, um, the war- there was a big sustainability push um, for housewives in the kitchen wanting women to, of course, all plant victory gardens and grow their own vegetables and raise rabbits and... Yes, uh, that was true both in both wars. And there are beautiful, beautiful posters on display um, asking housewives to support the war effort in each of the two big wars mm-hmm. um, to eat uh, less meat, more grains... Uh, more vegetables, to grow your own fruits and vegetables, Um, food conservation. Herbert Hoover uh, put out a message to the press um, that uh, women have to support the war effort in every way they can uh, during the Depression. So even between the wars, the government has always had a hand in uh, asking women or everybody uh, to eat better, live better. So it's interesting because we've here we asked to grow our own vegetables and 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 you know really produce our own food and how we've come full circle because we will you know then there was and here we are again the, the, we had the, <laughs> then then there were freezers and canned you know products but yeah. and and now we're back to wanting to grow our own vegetables again. How funny how things go around. But in it's interesting. 1945, one of the one of the um, inventions that we can talk about was the pressure cooker. That looks like a battleship. The first pressure cooker that was made. It was yes, interesting. yes. Yeah. The first pressure cooker, I think, was actually introduced in, at the World's Fair in 1939 hmm. as a fascinating gimmick. Right. Think of it as a microwave. Really. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Um, that's another place that. In, in inventions were um, shown as, as fairs, World's Fairs. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot came out of that 1939 World's Fair uh, for the thinking of the future. Um, the Some of the other things um, that were current, at, not so current at that time, were the, the kitchens of the future, the dishwashers and, and so on. Well, that and that the exhibit then goes on to bring us to 
the the woman in the tight waisted shirt waist dress and the full skirt introducing every American housewife to the modern kitchen. These were the 1950s sleek kitchens, right? Yes, they were very colorful. Um, sometimes yellow, sometimes green. Formica. Uh, formica <laughs> was well. That's certainly an important chemical innovation. Yes. That um, we. I guess nobody uses formica anymore. They, they it's, more, a diff, more, it's a little different, granite, yeah, yeah, different yeah, product. No. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the floors, linoleum, mm-hmm. all, all of these things were mass produced for better kitchen, better work spaces right. for housewives. Right. You know, labor. I mean, they were labor saving, labor saving yeah. devices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, the exhibit actually doesn't go into the 21st century when things have changed so much again. Um, So we look back and um, think of all of the things that perhaps we don't use today that we used um, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, it does sort of cap with um, the invention of the The microwave, microwave. the Dyson uh, vacuum, you know, the, the... see-through clear, you know, kind of vacuum power. Yes, there are a lot of uh, wonderful plastic items mm-hmm. uh, in their bowls and, and so on that are really quite handsome. And, of course, there are a lot of tools we still use today. One of the most interesting people I ran into in this exhibit is Thomas Lamb, who was an industri- American industrial designer who um, devised ergonomic knives uh, for um, originally as as crutches for the soldiers returning from the war huh. uh, whose hands were damaged. And he figured out where the fingers should go and translated that into working on knives, uh, cutlery. And so a lot of, uh, a whole set of his uh, knives for cutgo are in the exhibit as well. Um, Interesting, yeah. And it's um, some of the things... Well, they, they did uh, put a display of some of the... Well, we can't call them modern. I mean, they're talking about standing the test of time. Um, the stand the stand mixers, the, the mix masters, and RoboCoop, you know, the yes. food processors. There's a, there's a brawn uh, uh-huh. one from the 1950s. I think it did 16 different functions, which is pretty amazing. The press of a button, yeah. Yes, and... Um, um, the the bronze were another interesting family, and uh, I just want to quote this one uh, founder's son of Max Braun. He says, "Our electric appliances should be quiet, unobtrusive helpers and servants. Like a good servant in days of old, they should come and go silently, there when wanted, but unnoticed." <laughs> <laughs> be great. It may, well, and I love those kitchens where you can push them down in the cabinet, and they pop up when you need them, and they push down in the cabinet out of sight when you don't need them. Yes. Um, but we still need the mixers. That's Absolutely. Really and, they, you know, it's interesting. I was looking at some of those old videos of those old films on kitchens. Um, and I think it was a, a film from the 40s, a video from the 40s, and or film. It was filmed then. Um, and the mix master looked, I don't know if it was KitchenAid. I, I couldn't tell in the film, but um, exactly the same as as they were today. I mean, they, you know, a little bit, you know, heavy cast iron, not enamel or something, but um, 
not as colorful and and uh, and lively as we see the products today, but the, serving the same function and not changed a whole lot, really. It's amazing how many things have stood the test of time and just stayed as they are. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because we were um, talking about some of the posters. One, I got a laugh at, at one of the posters. There was a... Um, a push on how the American after, so I think it was after World War II, perhaps, how the American housewife should be the nutritionist for her family, well, which stands to reason, and uh, talked a lot about proper nutrition for people. And and the design of the elements, as well as the, you know, the calories and, and what should be consumed, were all designed on the ideal model of the woman, which was about five feet four inches, I think. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting because everything was sort of built to scale for you know a much. That's a whole other interesting range. subject, isn't it? Yeah. About how women and men, of course, um, have gotten taller and taller mm-hmm. in the kitchen. And I assume that the countertops today are probably I'm not sure. Like uh, 32, 32 uh, inches is a standard height now. Yeah. Than than they used to be in the days of. Uh, Grit Lahotsky. Right, yeah. absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's what did impress me the most. You know, I thought, did it lose some height when they transferred that kitchen? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, tens of thousands of those kitchens were made, were produced for apartments. Now, this was a housing complex? or This in- is in various housing complexes, not only in Frankfurt, but all through Europe. Even in Scandinavia, they adapted that kitchen. So the same kitchen was reproduced. The same kitchen uh, is... Uh, I don't know how many survive. The reason that the exhibit uh, was put on at the at the Modern Museum is because they just acquired that kitchen intact from a donor. Um, there's another one out in some museum in the Midwest as well. Uh, it's pretty amazing that these things have actually uh, remained intact. Right. I mean, the only thing that I could really relate it to um, much prior to this, and 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 certainly, you know outstepped it in many ways is the Hoosier cabinet which was sort of a one step yes you know, all in one workstation yes, I actually have a, a Hoosier cabinet there you see so those still exist but but I mean this you goes you can actually put your flour into a flour sifter in the cabinet without ever opening the without door right opening the door. store your flour right store there your, and store your flour and sift it and have it ready to use to and bake it, a pie right it, yes and that's late 19th century that's, right that's earlier right. so that's the kind of theory it seemed to work on was this all-in-one workstation where you don't really you know you don't have to move very far and everything is at your fingertips um, think of a, a i guess like a kitchen in a submarine or a you know some of these or a yacht Yeah, you know, everything is very, a galley kitchen that everything is very efficient, a real study in efficiency. Interesting. Um, Some of the items that, uh, oh, oh, and I know what I want to mention. All right, so we had the Frankfurt kitchen, that's what the, the exhibit centers around, was this wonderful study in efficiency. And then they have that kitchen by the Italian company, Snydero. Yes, well, that's a that's a completely portable kitchen. It closes up so that you have no idea that there's a kitchen. Uh, kind of like a bright colored plastic steamer, steamer trunk, right? Yeah, and it opens up to all these different compartments and, and places. Um, that one, I don't know if it was ever actually manufactured. It's a clever idea. Oh, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, I will tell you something. Um, having lived in Italy for... Um, 
several years in the late 60s. One thing that we were surprised at, my husband and I, when we, when we arrived and we looked at apartments to rent an apartment, the apartments came with no appliances, hmm. no light fixtures, and no closets. So I could. So we were looking at this portable kitchen. We said, "Wow, that would have been perfect. Everything's all in one. There was a refrigerator, um, a cooktop where you put a portable gas, you know, liquid propane gas tank. Uh, you had your cabinet shelves and your storage areas. And they didn't have running water. There's no sink. Sink had to be separate. And yes, the kitchens, the apartments did have sinks. But you had to buy all your own appliances. So this would have been perfect because every time you move, you could close it up, pick it up, and take yeah. it with you. And it's stunning. It's oh, gorgeous. Italian design is always beautiful. Very, very um, sleek. And, and I said it was like, pla- and it wasn't plastic. I don't know what it was. A bright colored enamel. metal or enamel. Yeah. yeah. Very neat. That was, and the whole top of the case then served as the countertop, the counter space. Right. I thought that was great. I liked that one. Um, what, what else did we see that was, that kind of was, to, uh, that is it part of our kitchen today most of the things i have to say i I, I still have in my kitchen okay ice cream scoop Mm -hmm. uh, from 1940 um an egg slicer do you still use an egg slicer 1930 have one don't use it (laughs) um believe it or not in the exhibit there are sugar cubes that were invented in 1872 i don't think these are the same sugar cubes i hope not yeah (laughs) Uh, but that's the date of that they were actually invented there's um, a, a square bottom paper bag that was patented in 1869. That blew my mind. I mean, that 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 really, you know, we did things we take for granted, and then you realize, no, they didn't have flat bottom paper, paper bags. bags. Yeah, lunch bag. I, what I love, I think, about the exhibit is the inventiveness of all of these industrial designers and just plain people who came up with all these marvelous pieces of equipment. Uh, to make life better for all of us. And, you know, I was, F, in thinking about talking about it today, I was, I'm was i hard-pressed to think of any one particular design in the 21st century that has outstripped or surpassed the inventiveness that we saw in in the previous uh, century, certainly in this exhibit. Well, the century is young. Oh, we I know, we, we've only started. <laughs> but I mean, you know, in, in terms of, you know, computers have come up, we have all this, you know, computer-driven things, but actual things that you need, appliances, gadgets that you in need, hand, yeah, yeah, tactile yeah, items yeah. that you need to prepare things with. Hmm, I don't, can't think of anything really great. One thing I did see that I, I don't, I don't know, you probably have seen them around because you have a, a nice collection. It was a roast holder. I don't, it looks like a pair of forceps or something. Yes, but it's, yes I did see that. Yeah, and these are big, something. round, scissors, like scissors, but they only have two big, round spokes that fit around a roast so that you could yes, move roast I saw, or I saw a roast. Yes, I a lot of fun things yeah. like that, too. A, a um, cake slicer that it was... Now that was, was inventive. Slice 12 perfectly even slices of cake. With, it was just a wire, a wire, a very wire simple object, wire yeah. object. Yeah, yes. it looked like somebody made a, a pie chart with thin wire, and it was, it was perfectly, you know, in the circle, 12 perfect slices. Just press it down on top of the cake. Why don't we use that today? It's so smart. You know, I wonder if diners, you know, they, how they, you go into diners and they always have the cakes in the cases and each slice is perfect. I wonder if they still use something like that. That's worth investigating. It certainly would go for, make for even slices. Absolutely. Uh, which 
Yeah. Everybody wants. Yes, there, there's. You can get inspired by going to an exhibit like that to um, find things that you want or um, are still around. That Absolutely. You well, now you had. Tell me a little bit about your collection. We're, just as we close, I want to know a little bit about your oh, collection. I, I collected things that work and move. Um, very old ones, American. Um, Apple peelers, cherry pit. I have a cherry pitter that pits 20 cherries at one time. Oh, my goodness. All kinds of crazy gadgets. Americans were very, very gadget conscious. Uh, always, have always been. The vegematic. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I love things that work and move, uh, sausage stuffers and, and um, flour sifters. Uh, so I had quite a large collection, but it got too big, and so I donated the whole collection to Johnson & Wales Culinary Museum well, up in they are. Rhode Island, and I hope there, people will be able to enjoy them and see them on exhibit up there. Well, fortunate for them. I'm sure it's a very interesting exhibit. And for those of you um, listening, if you have an opportunity to get to New York City within the next couple of months, the exhibit... Um, at the Museum of Modern Art is really worth a visit. And it runs until May 2nd, and it's called Counterspace. And we've enjoyed talking about it today, and I thank you for listening, and I thank my guest, Merrill Evans. And once again, I'm Linda Palaccio, and please tune in again to A Taste of the Past. <laughs> ¶¶